Ice Theatres, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the Ice Theatres experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality. Ice Theatres, meet us at CinemaCon with 2113A. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Aria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, here in our daily CinemaCon edition presented by Ice Theaters. Today is April 27th, Thursday morning, the final morning here at CinemaCon 2023. I'm joined by Rebecca Polly, my colleague and co-host here at Box Office Pro, the Pulse of Theatrical Exhibition. Rebecca's our deputy editor here at Box Office Pro, and we've been running around, Rebecca, all week covering everything in this show. I'm exhausted. I have to correct you, because you said week, and it has to have been at least a month. It, it feels, feels that like way. it, right? It, oh, it I mean, it's, like it's great. It. It's Oh, man, it's an experience. Well, that's what happens when you start the week with a pint of rosé. I told you. I didn't. I told you it was not rosé. That's I'm tonight. Going to, I'm that's, going to end the week with a pint of rosé. That's, that's what's going to happen. That's variety party. That's what's going to happen there. And to our listeners, if you start hearing background noise, it's because we're taping this at our corporate suite, and they have planned their big client party downstairs yep. as we record. So, yeah, if there's some... Uh, Hopping beats, bumping beats. I don't even know what to and say. And if you notice any kind of a break in the conversation, it means that either Daniel or myself have ducked downstairs to bring up some beer. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. Or rose. Okay. But let's get into it, Rebecca, because it's been another long day here. And there were two major studio presentations on Thursday, on Wednesday, actually. I'm already losing track of mm. everything. But uh, before we get into that, let's go over the daily schedule here today on Thursday morning, 7.45 a.m., the dueling seminar sessions in what we call the hangover special. No offense to the ICTA, but I, I always do like to go to the NAC, the National Associations of Concessionaires, but I do love my technology too. Just, you know, it's concessions. I love concessions. <laughs> so that is the NAC, that's the uh, Trade Association for the Concessions Business. They've got a panel session called Bar and Kitchen Redesign, and today environment and at the same time in the room right next to them the ICTA the Cinema Technology Association has a session called Beyond the PLF the technology behind event cinema and live events that's at 7 45 a.m. Whoever attends that gets I think a medal of participation that's how you win CinemaCon you like unlock all the levels and you, like, get to go to, I don't know, a special room in Show East. I don't I, know what happens. I just want coffee. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's all you're waiting that's for. That's And at 10 a.m., we've got the Paramount presentation. A.K.A. We're, the Paramount Victory Lap. Well-deserved. Victory Lap. And at 12.15 p.m., this is what I'm looking forward to, Rebecca. We've got a special guest at the lunch. It's like a luncheon where there's usually a conversation while everybody's eating. In the past, it's been lively discussions. This year, however, is probably the most interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of a, like, any confrontational... Who's, it's Martin Scorsese. Who's going to argue with Martin Scorsese? I, I think a lot of people on Twitter would argue with our Martin Scorsese. I wouldn't necessarily say that those are people. <laughs> oh, come on. And we love you guys. If you're following us online, please don't direct your hate comments towards us. We're people, too. <laughs> and after the 12.15 p.m. lunch conversation with Martin Scorsese, at 2.30 p.m., 
Things close up here on the official coverage side for us because it's parties after that. 2.30 p.m., the Lionsgate presentation, followed by a screening of Joyride. That's a comedy coming out from Lionsgate later this year. That's going to be a, a nice uh, end to a very long week. But I will tell you, so far... We've gone through three days here of CinemaCon. It's very different than the last two years. It feels a lot more like 2019. Yeah, I mean, I, as everyone knows who was at that kind of like half CinemaCon, the one that was in August in 2021. The I best mean, one, by the way. I mean, that, My favorite, yeah. It definitely did not feel like a, like a normal CinemaCon. And even last year, I feel like we hadn't yet seen the crazy box office of Avatar, of... of Top Gun Maverick. Maverick, that hadn't come out, so yeah. So people, you know, I feel like there was a little sense of, like, hedging your bets a little bit at that point, just yeah. mentally. Like, the pandemic was mentioned every five minutes, like, of course. But it's kind of been back more to business as usual now. Definitely the two presentations that we saw today from Disney and Universal Focus, a lot of films coming out this year. A lot of films, and we'll be going into them in a little bit. I do have to mention, before I forget, we do have a feature segment here. Two interviews in today's episode from PVR Inox, Ajay Bijli, one of the lead executives at the Indian Super Circuit. And following that, representatives from the Independent Cinema Alliance. I love to have that interview in this uh, podcast series, Rebecca. I, I know you do too, because we spend a lot of time talking about the concerns of major circuits, studios. This event would wouldn't be what it is without independent theaters and those independent theater owners that come and support every year. Mm -hmm. That's why we like to bring them in here and include them as part of our podcast series. That's the second feature segment in today's episode, but that's coming up later. Right now, we have to talk about movies and we start with Disney. I've been warning everybody, by the way, since the start of this podcast series, Disney doesn't put as much time into these presentations. Yeah. They're very macro level. You don't get to see a lot of uh, stars come yeah. in, talent, so, I mean, do ahead, much. Universal gave us like a whole like stunt presentation, people doing flips and flinging swords around. I mean, Disney, it was more like the trailer show with Melissa McCarthy showing up, which, which That did like, happen, yeah, yeah, for The Little Mermaid, the live action adaptation. But we'll be going into that title in just a bit. Let's go in, uh, I guess, by division from Disney, because it's a massive place over there. And, uh, and the point was made by, I believe it was uh, Tony Chambers, their head of theatrical distribution. This is the first time since before the pandemic that all seven of their divisions has a, has a film coming out. That's great. Mm. We needed that. We yeah. really needed that. Happy to have them back, really, uh, as we saw with Avatar The Way of Water. Whenever Disney focuses on theatrical, they can really, really help the industry out. And we always, always love when they put their entire force in making sure they drive ticket sales behind their blockbusters. And we're gonna see how that uh, turns out, I think, for the rest of the year. On the Marvel side, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we didn't see much, I guess, a new extended clip? It what was, did we see? It was, from what I remember of the trailer, the first trailer, I think it was that with some extended bits put in. So not too much by way of new footage. It definitely felt tonally very similar to the previous two Guardians movies, which made a ton of money. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and then we also got a, a trailer for uh, the Marvels, which is their November 10th, you know, the second. And that was the same trailer that they put out already. So. That's footage that's already out there. Yeah. But that's a Captain Marvel. What's that movie called? Is this the a Marvels. sequel to the, the Captain Marvel or is it a spin-off? I don't know what's it's going a, on. It's, it's a sequel. It's kind of like it's a sequel to Captain Marvel and to one of their Disney Plus shows, kind of bringing those two together. God knows. Good luck. Sure. Let's keep on going to another division here, Walt Disney Animation. This is a curious part of the Disney presentation, uh, Rebecca, because 
if you remember the Warner Brothers presentation, yeah. they made a big point of this being their centennial year and celebrating their legacy which, and commitment to, to theaters and movie going. Which, as I, can I just say, as people from a publication that's been around for, at this point, 103 years, they are still Young Spring Chickens. Yeah, yeah, we got three years on them. We're the older brother here. Sorry. But Walt Disney Studios is also turning 100 this year. No mention. You wouldn't know it. That's weird. Wasn't that? I, I just, I feel like maybe to go into that would have required more effort into putting things <laughs> yeah, together that, creatively maybe they, than maybe they, Disney. No disrespect to Disney. This is, you know. They've got different priorities. They put a lot of effort in more consumer-oriented reveals. I mm. get that. It's a behemoth. But uh, don't forget us, Disney. We're yeah. here. We we make you $2.3 billion on <laughs> Avatar sequels. Uh, we, we do play a role in the bottom line. Just ask Bob Chapik. So let's go into mm. uh, the Walt Disney Animation title. That was a low blow. For that. I'll keep, we'll keep that in the edit. Uh, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. <laughs> that was, that's uh, fine. He's not listening. He'll never know. Let's go into the Walt Disney Animation title that we saw here. Wish, coming out November 22nd. This felt like the only part of the Disney press presentation that was referencing its centennial anniversary. It's connecting to the legacy of Disney, of everything behind it. It's very much not finished. They're still animating this thing. What uh, we yeah. saw, we saw some footage, we heard a song. We heard uh, the, uh, the the famous Disney I Wish song. You know, yeah. There's always the I Wish song. of the. the I mean, for, I, I say this and it, and it may sound critical coming out, it, it felt very, very much like the Frozen movies in Moana, like just incredibly similar. We got a cute little goat sidekick. We have a scrappy, a scrappy young heroine wanting to get out and explore the world. So yeah, I mean, those were both two enjoyable movies. They're movies that audiences definitely respond to. Oh man, to. I love my Moana. Moana get, is yeah. the best thing that Lin Manuel Miranda will ever do. Yeah, oh, well, like, we're the getting, best. Um, he'll, he'll never beat that. Where he's also contributing some songs to the Little Mermaid, the live action version, which is another one of those divisions. Yeah. I don't know if you need to add new songs to the Little Mermaid because it's kind of perfect <laughs> as is. I but. think they're good with what they have. But yeah. we did we did get to see uh, some footage from that as well, Rebecca. That's coming out Memorial Day weekend. What did we see from that live action adaptation of the Little Mermaid? Uh, we got the big villain song, arguably the best villain song in the Disney canon, "Poor Unfortunate Souls," sung by Melissa McCarthy in the original Anna animated film that character of Ursula was famously like kind of based on or inspired by like Divine and by drag queens you can tell like Melissa McCarthy's definitely bringing that energy it's a very very big very like she it's a, it's a, it's a scenery chewing performance though I did I will say I went on Twitter afterwards and after this presentation you know of course Disney is timing things and putting out character posters and right. new information and the fish creatures Sebastian and Flounder I don't love the looks Twitter ain't loving the looks uh, they just, were I didn't even notice them they look like fish yeah well they are a fish and if you're doing a live they're lying to you adaptation they're lying to you yeah well you know, uh, best of luck to those fish co-stars in The Little Mermaid coming out of Memorial Day weekend. One more title here from Disney proper, Haunted Mansion, mm -hmm. coming out July 28th. Listen, I'm older now, but this, I saw the footage that they showed us of this title. I was thinking of me, of who I was at age 12. Mm -hmm. I'd be so excited. I mean, I would be so excited to see this as a 12 year old. It is the like the, uh, disparate group of, of different people coming into a house that is haunted. Like yeah. the formula is gold. It, it, even... it worked for Vincent Price. It can work for you, Hell too. Yeah. And uh, in introducing the film, the Disney executive who introduced that film, which, uh, forgive me, I believe that was Tony Chambers, specifically referenced the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, another Disney movie based on a Disney theme park ride, 
clearly it's something that they want to turn into a franchise. They want to franchise this out. Uh, definitely don't want it to be a one-and-done sort of situation. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. A lot of franchise potential there for the Haunted Mansion on July 28th. And then we actually got to see quite a bit of footage of the Pixar movie coming out in mid-June in the now-dreaded Lightyear release spot for Pixar. I kept flashing back to last year to Lightyear because it was a similar situation of right. this is the big Pixar movie. We're going to show you about 20 minutes of it. It's um, coming out in mid-June, same time in the calendar, yeah. And yet, I think this segment of Elemental had something different, i.e. jokes. That helps, you know, in, in family films, the, it yeah. helps if you don't take yourself too seriously. It, it, it definitely felt more tonally in line with previous Pixar films. Like, I mean, it, it, it's characters who embody the elements, it's very inside out. You know, it, it seems to be kind of a paralleling, like the immigrant experience and family and, and all these things and understanding and people from different worlds, like connecting. I thought it looked cute. I think it can play internationally. I think this may be a good comeback movie for Pixar. And boy, does Pixar need a comeback movie at mm -hmm. the box office. Uh, I, I really think uh, this might be it. The 3D looks great. Really good animation on it this one. It did actually look yeah. really with the Dolby 3D. It looked yeah, it good. looked really, really good. So again, we know that 3D had a little bit resurgence with the Avatar sequel. Hopefully, Elemental can keep that going. I think that's a good premium option for exhibitors. Had the glasses. Yeah, you might as well use them. You invested in the technology. Here's a great movie to keep that up. And then moving to the We Bought Fox, what are we going to do with it part of the presentation. Searchlight Pictures has next goal wins coming out in mid-November. Now, I, I know the story behind this. There was actually a documentary that I saw at the Tribeca Film Festival like in oh, 2015. Yeah. yeah, based on the actual story that mm -hmm. this movie is based on. Basically, it's American Samoa, the world's worst international soccer like team. Like their losing streak is just... Historic. 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 And this is a tight... And they, you know, they, they get a new coach and they, I guess, score a goal in a game, and that's like a big deal. It's a, it's a cute little story about like overcoming obstacles. It's yeah. a sports movie with a sense of humor, and it's Taika Waititi directing. It just it's, seems like a really good combo here. It's Michael Fassbender who has not really been in a ton as of late. I feel like I don't know if, if he kind of took a few years off or something, but he's yeah. back. He's being funny. Has he ever been in a comedy? Have you ever seen Fassbender perform comedy? Alien Covenant. Good point. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next one here. Oh, this one was this one was strange to me. In an interesting way, I'm intrigued. A Haunting in Venice, the third film in Kenneth Branagh's Hercule. Oh my god. Oh, we don't have Romeo with a French accent to say the French name. Hercule Poirot. I'll just oh, I'll just lead into the American pronunciation there. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's the third film in that series. It looks to be kind of bringing back, you know. Big ensemble cast, a lot of big names, you know, very lush costumes, very lush locations, murder, a mystery that needs to be solved, ghosts this time. Like, th that first trailer made it look like a horror movie. Ghosts, robots, worth watching. I'm going to be watching this. I don't know how this connects at all with oh. the other horror films, but sure. I don't know if it, if it, if it sure. reflects, like, even the genre that the movie is, but it certainly succeeded, I think, in piquing attention. Let's go with it. And then a compelling title. This is actually was probably the most interesting presentation in the Disney slate for me. I hadn't heard of this movie. What can you tell our audience about The Creator coming out on September 29th? So honestly, if you just, we saw the first trailer uh, for this film, which is a kind of futuristic space opera, sci-fi 
sci-fi epic that goes into, you know, kind of a man versus machine, man versus AI sort of situation. Um, it's from the filmmaker Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One for Disney, a Star Wars film, a Star Wars spinoff that I really like. The really best Star that Wars one. movie? That one? Because yeah. that is the best Star Wars movie. Of the Disney years or ever? Oh, like, I think ever. I know, hot take, but like... I'm going to go jump out the window now, but... No, dude, he came in like last minute during reshoots. He turned it into like quite a valuable diamond, I think. I love that movie. And he's returning uh, to science fiction territory uh, with a film with, I believe, John David Washington, who starred in Tenet from Chris Nolan back in the year that we all want to forget. Yeah, it it has kind of like AI vibes, a little children of men vibes going. It looks like... Yeah, post-apocalyptic and, and kind of contemplative, but also exciting and actioning. Yeah, this is. I was surprised I saw it in the Disney presentation. If, if you yeah, showed right? me the trailer, I wouldn't have guessed Disney. I, that, that's exactly right. So I, I'm glad to see movies like that being incorporated into the Disney slate, especially with seven divisions. I'm glad one of those divisions is making this type of movie. Mm-hmm. Now, and that's, you know, a little bit of a, of a you know, wild pitch out there. See, see what happens. You know, it's probably not going to be a massive blockbuster. The guaranteed hit, however, was what closed out the presentation from Lucasfilm. We got to see a pretty good chase sequence, actually, yeah. out of the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny title. That is the new Indiana Jones movie with Harrison Ford coming out on June 30th. Harrison Ford via, via video sharing... You know, an introduction to the clip. I thought the chase scene was fun. It reminded me of why I like watching Indiana Jones movies. It reminded me of, I don't remember if it was one or two years ago, but with No Time to Die with the James Bond film, we got a preview of a car chase scene. Yeah. And you know what? Just if you preview your car chase scenes at CinemaCon, because they work. They work. They (laughs) work. Is there, like, it's bank robberies and car chases, like, on yeah. a movie screen. It, like, it can't get any better yeah. than that. Those it, are the was, two best uh, things to film. It was action. It was exciting. It was Harrison Ford careening in a little miniature taxi van thing through, <laughs> through uh, the streets of, like, Tunisia or something to that effect. I don't know the exact city, but it was it was interesting. It, it was very Indiana Jonesy. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be one of the year's highest-grossing films. I'm not going out on a limb saying that. And the early footage that we saw really did not disappoint at all. So that does it for Disney, because they uh, after that they went ahead and screened the entirety of The Boogeyman. Now, we haven't heard from our colleagues uh, any reactions uh, of the film itself. As soon as we do, we'll share them later on in future episodes of the Box Office Podcast. But we do have here a whole other studio presentation, <laughs> Universal and focus features coming together. I always think these guys put on a great presentation. This one ran long. It but, ran long. You know, that's a mood killer, but I think if it had not, it would it would be my favorite studio presentation this year so far by a by a long shot. So we'll we'll try to be as quick and succinct as possible going through all the preview titles in this two hour and a half plus Ooh. universal presentation at CinemaCon. So rather than waiting to bring out Christopher Nolan at the end, they just opened with him, which is the smart idea. We got to see a first look of different scenes. It was maybe less it, of a trailer, more of a mashup it, yeah. of Oppenheimer. It was, a, it was a, a pastiche. I don't know. Sure. I um, don't even know that the French guy isn't here. You can yeah. use that word. That's fine. I can't. He won't call me out if I'm using it wrong. <laughs> uh, no, this is one of the films, um, along with Barbie, with which it shares a release date still. This is one of my most anticipated films of the year by a long shot. I it's going to be a good it, double feature for you that weekend. Same. Yep. Back to back. Back to back. And I will buy tickets to both. I won't get one and sneak into the other because I like my job and I want to keep it. 
and we'll go into David Gordon Green doing that in a little bit. But uh, let's keep it on Nolan yeah. right now. So, I mean, it, the movie, it looked amazing. And, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan was very, I would say he had the biggest response from the audience yeah, by far. Absolutely. Like, it just didn't, the applause just kept going justifiably justifiably of the footage we saw i thought it was really nice to see robert downey jr act in a movie that's not made for children mm -hmm. uh, i hadn't seen that in almost a decade really refreshing you forget he's a great actor and it's great to have him in a movie like this one i'm looking forward to it i really am some black and white photography in your yeah. notes uh the contrast on it oh it the contrast was amazing the sound was amazing but like half of that is that wonderful laser projector that you mm. have uh you know here at caesar's palace there's so many laser projectors coming out right now. We've got a lot of press releases, companies like Cineonic and Christie really pushing them out mm -hmm. and really raising the standard of the standard auditorium. This is going to be, I think, a great test of not only PLF, because we know this, you know, Nolan, yeah. IMAX, guaranteed hit, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's not under discussion. But, but I think yeah. you can pull this off at a standard auditorium and come out with a great experience as long as it has a laser projector. As long as your, your projection is on point. But if you do want to see it in premium formats, Christopher Nolan, did, he did note that, I'm going to pull up the exact quote, all the PLFs, is that what he said? All the PLFs. Basically, it's coming out, uh, it's coming out in IMAX, in 70, in 35. Don't forget our friends at ICE. They're, they're going out, out there. Yeah, no, they're bringing in titles left and right. We'll be hearing more about like all of the ICE titles that are coming out later this year in our sponsored segment in a bit. But yeah, that PLF conversation, it's great to hear it from Christopher Nolan himself, how it's not just one format. It's all the premium formats that filmmakers are coming in and actually making these cinematic experiences mm -hmm. for. And there are so many different premium format options in the market, either first party, in-house, or third party through brands. That, uh, that it's great to see this content pipeline yeah. to... And it's great to see that there's potential for the, you know, quote-unquote standard version of Oppenheimer also right. look amazing, look great. I mean, it, it echoes what uh, Jane Hastings of Event Cinema was talking about in, uh, in the panel that she was on, which you will hear some more of in tomorrow's episode, providing a variety of experiences mm -hmm. for moviegoers of different interests at different price points. That's just a really essential component for exhibitors. And really what we saw from Universal is they really hammered home that it is essential on the production side as well. They definitely specified and really hammered home. We have a lot of movies over a lot of different types of yeah. genres and, and geared toward different audiences. I mean, it was all over the place in the best way. In the best way possible. So let's keep on talking about these movies because Jim Orr, the president of domestic distribution over at Universal, I think he had a great quote at the presentation that I think encapsulates this diverse uh, slate that they had. Mm -hmm. He said, we don't simply buy franchises at Universal. We build them. If you're going to throw shade at Disney, that's how you do it. This is home, like homegrown, yeah. built from the ground up by peace. No superheroes here, but movies that can work on a one-off, like we see from Chris Nolan, yep. or building these new franchises. Yep. Let's get right into it. I mean, it. if you're going to shade uh, Warner Brothers, it's by bringing out Nolan first. And if you're going to shade Disney, it's about highlighting <laughs> the fact that you can build franchises. Particularly, Universal's been successful at doing that with the Illumination films. I, I mean, I don't think when the first Despicable Me came out, anybody thought what a phenomenon minions would become. And now it's like the millennial like reference of going to the movies. It's crazy. And there's a new Illumination title coming out later this year called Migration. There's, uh, I guess, ducks in it. I don't know. Go see it with your family. It looks it looked, cute. It looked beautiful. Yeah, that's It's fine. a family of ducks going on a migration. 
Yeah, the head of distribution. The, it was actually, no, Chris Melodrondry said, I find ducks so irresistible. I don't know what he's talking about. Ducks are frightening. Right. And Chris being the head of the uh, animation studio, Illumination over there at mm-hmm. Universal. So it, it was great to, to have him out there and introduce a new title from Illumination that's just coming out mm-hmm. of releasing the Super Mario Brothers movie that's mm-hmm. just making this amazing business. Now, Daniel, can I brag a little bit and give you a little bit of guff? Yeah, I like guff. Because we have this film, Migration, from Illumination, Kids, Family, Animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Following that was Strays, not from Illumination, live action. Uh, We actually have an interview with the director in our CinemaCon issue that is a movie about animals. It is R-rated. It is adult. I have been saying, like, I am hopeful for this movie. I think it's going to be awesome. It is directed by the guy who did Barb and Star. And you know I love Barb and Star. Which I love. I love that movie. It's written by the American tabloid guy. And I've been saying, like... This, no, it's going to be good. And I've been doubting it. I it Talking dogs, live action, I had doubts. But we saw footage today at the Universal presentation. Rebecca's right, guys. Rebecca's right. I'll be having my pint glass of rosé this evening to just prove that point. It looks fantastic. Will Ferrell's in it. Uh, you Will know, Ferrell, as, as voice uh, talent. On hand at CinemaCon to present the film with the other star of the film, the dog who he voices. Yeah. Great bit. Good, amazing bit. He's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's, I think, one of the more surprising, pleasant surprises that we had from that Universal presentation Surprise today. Surprise for you. I've done new. Yeah, you knew it was always going to be good. And you can read Rebecca Pauly's interview with the filmmaker behind Strays in the CinemaCon edition, print edition of Box Office. Office Pro Magazine. If you don't have it, subscribe. Come on, you listen to us. Come on, help us out help here. Us out. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, uh, a film that I, I don't think either of us are as excited for. I am willing to be presently surprised. We have uh, an Exorcist kind of franchise sequel reboot. It is going to be three films. It is going to be from David Gordon Green, who rebooted the Halloween franchise as a trilogy. Yeah, we didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So I don't want to burn 45 minutes of this podcast talking about the new Exorcist trilogy from David Gordon Green. But I will say this about his Halloween trilogy. It took risks that nobody else would have taken yeah. with that material. And I think it would have like... been better as just one film. I think the first David Gordon Green Halloween did best. everything you needed it to do. Yeah. I'm not sure there was really space for another two movies. But after a terrible second installment, the third one, I agree with Russ Fisher, I'm not sure it's a movie I like, but it's a movie I respect. And regardless of of your feelings on on the Halloween trilogy, positive, negative, in between, uh, it does really look like this Exorcist trilogy is going to... Follow the faint same footsteps. It, yeah. it feels it feels it makes sense that this is what's coming up next from David Gordon Green. And we talked a little bit about sneaking into the movies. We mentioned that because David Gordon Green was uh, here in person at CinemaCon to introduce footage of The Exorcist Believer. I'm not even sure the title was out yet before this I don't presentation. Think so, no. so that's the official title now, The Exorcist Believer, the first part in a trilogy from David Gordon Green and Blumhouse. He, David Gordon Green, the director, he shared a great anecdote, Rebecca, about trying to sneak into the movies when he was a teenager. Got caught. Oh man, got busted. But a a worker, a manager there at that cinema actually taking him in, telling him, listen, when you turn 16, come back, apply for a job. David Gordon Green, the filmmaker, worked exhibition jobs for a number of years at Sony Theaters, at AMC, at Lowe's, and he just shared off the cuff his genuine appreciation. He kept for- the business card of the executive doorman who is the one who like ushered him into this 
cinema landscape. It it's really wonderful. Cute. I yeah. really like it when filmmakers can come in and, and share those anecdotes and, and, and talk about their personal connection with exhibition. And I am looking forward to this trilogy. I really am. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what to expect from it, but it, at least David Gordon Green is not going to give you a reheated yeah. on the microwave remake. He's like, not going to do that. Whether or not, regardless of what it is, you say, yes, we don't know what to expect from it. And that's good. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's all you can ask for, I think, at the end of the day, whether you like them or not. Very much not a Bloomhouse title. Coming up next <laughs> uh, in the presentation, a DreamWorks animation movie, something called Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken. Yeah, three DreamWorks animation movies uh, presented by Margie Cohen, the president of DreamWorks Animation. Uh, two sequels. Okay. First, we have uh, Trolls Band Together with Anna Kendrick and Justin That's Timberlake. That's a sequel. Uh, was Is the Teenage Kraken movie, was that a sequel? That's an original, That's right? an original. Okay. That's an original. So uh, that one is, first up, I mean, it is about a teenage girl who, or I don't know if she's a teenage girl, you know, a young woman who has the ability to turn into a giant Kraken with superpowers. The description of it, when Ms. Cohen was describing the film, it sounded very much like Pixar's Turning Red. Mm-hmm. But that said, when the trailer played, I was pleasantly surprised like I like the character design it has a unique look and the party just started if you hear that <laughs> if you hear any bass going but yeah <laughs> it comes out on June 30th uh, the quote that caught my attention is that it has the potential to become the girl power movie of the summer yeah I'm intrigued not as much uh, by the aforementioned trolls band together uh, that's the third film in the occasionally theatrically exclusive occasionally streaming franchise but uh, we, we can't give them yeah, there is a pandemic. You know, there was a time in our careers where we were writing the headline, Trolls World Tour Broke May the- Kill <laughs> Theatrical Exhibition. There was a time when that was something we wrote about. Now, the next installment in that franchise is coming out, and Anna Kendrick was here in person with uh, Justin Timberlake, and were just absolutely charming. Those two have chemistry. Like, when they smile at me, I feel special. Like, they're not looking at me directly, but when, when I see Justin Timberlake in person, smiling, and Anna Kendrick next to him, also smiling, I can't help but smile, too. I'm a sucker sometimes for, like, genuine star power. You get those moments now and then in these presentations. I felt it. I didn't feel it, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> yuck your yum. I'm just gonna keep moving. You weren't an NSYNC fan growing up, and also you probably don't like Pitch Perfect as much as I do. That's probably why. You're a Pitch Perfect fan. You're a Swifty. My God. I know. I know. I do. I do. I'm not, I'm not a Justin Timberlake person, but you know who I do love? Who doesn't love Jack Black? Yeah. Yeah. I, and he was very entertaining. Jack Black coming in person here to introduce no footage. There's no footage of Kung Fu Panda 4, which is a massive global blockbuster behemoth. And especially and, and one that has really, really, really succeeded overseas. I didn't know in Beijing there's a whole theme park based on it. Oh, man. I mean, it is a massive, massive mm. global hit. There wasn't any footage uh, to share of this title, but uh, Jack Black... Uh, the dramatic reading of the, <laughs> of the elevator pitch of the film? Yeah. I don't fun. know. You know what? That's good. He can sell a movie. You know, it, it His works. beard was trembling with emotion. <laughs> Uh, it, that was really, it was really neat. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for that one. And you're gonna have a kid, so you're gonna be going to these kids' movies. <laughs> uh, let's see. I mean, it depends how well she behaves. Let's talk about Focus features here. Lisa Bennell, president of uh, distribution over at Focus, and a veteran of theatrical exhibition as well. You can tell um, she's really passionate about. I, I love hearing from her, especially at CinemaCon. She speaks off the cuff, from the heart, and she really does genuinely care about bringing specialty cinema 
two theaters. And they've got a pretty interesting uh, slate this year. We saw some footage of some films. Other films were just mentioned uh, by executives. One film that we didn't get to see any footage from, but that I'm really excited to see, is Robert Eggers' take on Nosferatu, because of course I'm excited to see that. Mm -hmm. We didn't get to see anything from that title. It was just mentioned. It was a shout-out. We did get to see footage from a couple of movies here. Rebecca, starting with the next Wes Anderson film. The next Wes Anderson film, a.k.a. like catnip for art house exhibitors. I mean, Wes Ander anything Wes Anderson puts out, you're going to have to, I think, get a ticket in advance if you want to catch that on opening weekend at your art house film. I, yeah, it looked very, I think it was the same trailer we've seen before. I mean, it, it's pretty much you know what to expect at this point. But, you know, I like Wes Anderson, so I'm going to go see it. And then we've got a mom movie, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, which is going to, yeah, you know, I, I don't say that despectively. We, we, we say, we call movies dad movies yeah, all the time. it's a mom movie. And it's, it's a good mom movie. We need mom movies in the market. Look how well 80 for Brady performed. The book club next chapter coming out These shortly. movies do well and they address part of the demographics that don't always get movies consistently. I'm, I'm looking forward for this yeah. hitting the market and appealing to the segment of moviegoers. Yeah. It's something that uh, that the chairman of Focus Features, Peter Kujowski, mentioned. He's like, we, we don't need to stick to any particular tone or subject matter for the sake of quote-unquote branding. Right. We will throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks with various audiences, yeah. uh, which I think was, was definitely shown in the presentation today. For Focus, we have uh, the third Big Fat Greek Wedding film. We have Wes Anderson, and then you have from Alexander Payne, The Holdovers with Paul Giamatti being an arrest boarding school teacher being real angry and yelling at people looks <laughs> that's all you need to say yeah. there's, there's a charm in that pitch right mm -hmm. Paul Giamatti is just one of those character actors that always delivers mm -hmm. and this is the sort of role that I think he can really shine it in. definitely looks like it's it's a very much of like an actor's film a performer's yes film. yeah and Alexander Payne a very good actor's director yeah. very much so the same is true of Ethan Cohen who uh yeah. his, his upcoming film drive away dolls this looked really good Lucas. this actually was one of the, I think my highlights of the day today drive away dolls I didn't know what to expect from this title mm -hmm. But man, it looks good. It's like a crime movie. It's a road trip movie. Margaret Qualley starring. You know what it reminded me of? Uh, the Steven Soderbergh, Logan Lucky. Very like yeah, southern, you know, heisty I'll, I'll stay with, Cohen, with Cohen, the Coen brother theme. There's a little bit of raising Arizona in yeah, there. You know, so there's, there's a lot of it, DNA of movies that have come before it from you know, Ethan Cohen. Uh, he's co-writing this, not with his brother Joel, but uh, screenwriter Trisha Cook is coming in and acting as a co-screenwriter here. So I'm very interested to see how this plays out. I always have a good time with, with those yeah. type of movies. And it's one of those, like, you know, smaller mid-range films that, that we really do need more of than we've been getting these past few years. Absolutely. And uh, then and after... Not a smaller mid-range film. No, no, because what's the best follow-up to a Coen brother trailer is Fast X, Vin yeah. Diesel. And there was a lot of Vin Diesel today. More Vin Diesel than I maybe have ever had in my life. You can tell that he really... Uh, does love and, and appreciate both fans of the franchise and the exhibition community for making this franchise, which nobody, I'm sure, including Vin Diesel, thought would be what it is today. Right. From, you know, essentially like a low-budget point-and-break ripoff is what the first movie was. I mean, he spent 20 minutes on stage, it felt like, 
just speaking off the cuff and thanking exhibitors and reminiscing about being at CinemaCon. I noted one of the lines that he said, I look out and I see soldiers on the front lines, which is a little dramatic. What does that mean? it's adorable. No, we sell movie theater (laughs) tickets. Are you kidding me? We sell popcorn tubs. What are you talking about? But listen, thank you for the fast movies, the, the furious movies. Sure, we'll take them. There's 10 of them now. There's going to be 11 of them soon. Announced by Vin Diesel at this presentation. Fast X1? Fast X Part 2 is coming out? What's going on with that? I think we knew that. I think we already knew knew that. that. Well, I didn't know that. I think they're pulling kind of like a a James Bond situation where it's like the end of the road split into two films. Well, no, I'm sorry. The, The number that comes after 10 is 11. You can't say 10 Part 2 but listen, we'll go with that, Vin Diesel. You've given us a lot here in the exhibition community. You're going to be giving us some good, some good fight scenes and some good chase scenes. Car chases, that's, that's all we need, Jason right? Jason Momoa being evil and charming and just giggly. Evil Jason Momoa, always worth the ticketed price. That's coming out May 19th. I think there's a lot of excitement for that movie. And part two of Fast X is coming out in 2025. So we will see... Vin Diesel on this stage again in two years' time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he can now uh, reminisce with us some more. And then after that, I have to be honest with you guys, I have to go to the bathroom I left. I mean, at this point, it was like two hours and 40 minutes. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm done here. They, they like brought in some like stunt motorcycle team. guys, so a stunt, stunt team. doing crazy. Yeah, I, I, I left. You missed some stuff that I think you would have liked, honestly. Okay, so you got to fill me in and the audience. What happened after I walked out of my job? So this, uh, after you walked out of your job, after Vin Diesel had concluded his monologuing, we got a lot of people from the stunt team of 87 North performing stunts. They had a t-shirt cannon. I love a t-shirt cannon. Mm, I miss a t-shirt cannon? You did. Come on. And you miss David Leach because it I is... I love David Leach. I've interviewed him a couple of times. Come on, Atomic Blonde, one of my favorite movies. And he is, he is back at it again. Oh, I left at the worst part. Oh, why? It is not only a David Leach movie. It is a David Leach movie uh, called The Fall Guy based on an old TV show with Lee Majors. It's a show about stunt people. It's very meta. It's Ryan Gosling. is a stunt And David guy. Leach is a former stunt guy. He, oh, why did I walk? This, oh, this is why you stay to the end. This movie is stuntastic. It has uh, Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt, two of, I think, A, most unfairly attractive people. Mm, and also yeah. just crazy funny yeah, like Emily, awesome. she's they're both just hot and funny. Funny and hot. How can you compete? I just come on. Just give me something. Give me a flaw that at least I can work with and relate with. But again, you know, when funny and hot people they smile at you on a movie screen. There you can't go. help but smile back. March of two thousand and twenty-four. We are going to be seeing the Fall Guy. It looks like a lot of action, a lot of comedy, some you know heist actiony. Such. I mean, it looks like it's a movie that is going to succeed or fail based on the chemistry of the two leads, and it looks like they do have crazy chemistry, so. Yeah. So that's a very lengthy uh, Universal presentation, but all in all... That was, um, not, that was not the final film, though. No. There was one more. There was one more. They, well, it's... Did uni- they announce an iPhone? What's going on it's here? It's Universal. They had Donna to show, Langley they had to walking show out with some new piece of technology saying, you know, we make computers now? No, they showed us some Wicked. Oh, no way. That's a big deal. Yeah. My God, I missed all the good parts. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a trailer. It was more kind of like a behind-the-scenes video with some behind-the-scenes footage and some talking heads and some actual footage. I mean, I thought it looks great. I and mean, are you excited for it? I am. Chad, our producer here, you're a theater guy. I don't know if you're a musical person, but did it look good to you? Yeah, absolutely. It I mean, looked, yeah. And the fact that some of the footage was a little rough, they hadn't finished the CGI, but 
they've also built this incredible world. Right. So much yeah. of it was practical. And the, the costumes look it was amazing. Like nine million tulips that they said that they Yeah, made. they planted nine million tulips because they want everybody to be like super immersed. Yeah. Hey, tulip business booming once again. Yeah. It, good it, for Amsterdam. Yeah, it looked really good. I was not sure what to expect after a few days back. We saw the first images of the film and they were just super dark. Yeah. But the film looks looks colorful. It looks bright. It looks very much kind of in the in the greatest showman vein of like a December just fun family movie. Go see it again. You know, different in content definitely, but yeah. tonally, I kind of see a resemblance there. Well, you have to think, uh, Wicked is just one of the most successful Broadway musicals of all time. A film adaptation starring Ariana Grande yeah. is somewhat popular among people. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> like you know, yeah. No, I think it's going to be, uh, obviously, you know, going on a limb, you think Wicked's going to be a big hit. But then again, I will say this. I don't want to jinx it. A couple of CinemaCons ago, we we got to see a, we didn't get to see any footage from Cats, but they did perform Memory live at CinemaCon, and everyone was like, this movie's going to be great. Cats is going to be, nope. That was the same CinemaCon we where, where they, they revealed that, like, it's the scale, they were the scale of actual Cats. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to jinx it, by the way. I really don't want to put that into the universe. I don't think Universal would ever make that mistake again with and a musical. I hope it's not a mistake that they make Daniel, because if it is, they made it twice. Like, it is not one movie, it is two. The first one coming out around uh, Thanksgiving of 2024. So, yeah, I mean, there, I don't know exactly what's on that schedule, uh, you know, off the top of my head. I'm sure there's going to be some competition, but it seems like it's gonna be a good film knock on wood yeah we're gonna be looking forward to seeing a lot of these titles out in theaters in the coming months and years and that does it for the news segment here on the box office podcast coming up we're going to be having two sets of feature interviews one with the head of pvr inox the indian super circuit rebecca Pauly, interviewing ajay bijli and then following that my interview with representatives from the independent cinema alliance but before we go into that we've got another special guest here in a sponsored segment live not live pre-recorded obviously but i did take this from the trade show floor rebecca i love going down there here at CinemaCon. i visited our friends at ice theaters and spoke with uh guillaume tomin de masur their managing director about the momentum that their premium format is experiencing is enjoying right now in the market getting picked up in a number of different countries that interview is coming right after this break here on the box office podcast And we are back here on the Box Office Podcast at CinemaCon, brought to you by Ice Theaters, infinitely so, because we are recording this sponsored segment from the trade show floor here at CinemaCon. I'm with Guillaume Tomin de Masur, the managing director of Ice Theaters. Guillaume, welcome. It's crazy. We're here at the trade show floor. You hear it in the background. People are walking, going to booths. You've been here for the last couple of years in the post-pandemic trade show. This is different. This is different and we're very, very happy. We came here, Las Vegas, with a team of eight people and it's impressive because nobody has a free minute to spare. We have been talking to clients, to prospects, to distributors, to exhibitors from the morning to, to late night and we, we don't stop. It's, it's really, really satisfying to see the industry is finally back on track. 
Yeah, I think you can really get the temperature of that momentum just from the trade show here at CinemaCon. Now, Ice Theaters is a premium large format concept. It's a very innovative uh, concept. You guys have been around for a number of years. How would you describe the Ice Theaters experience to someone that might not have heard about it before? Sure, it's... it's uh something that addressed the peripheral vision. So we put LED screens on both walls of the auditorium and we fill them with our graphic designers that are doing wonderful effects from the movie. And it's from start to the finish. It's not only a few minutes here and there, it's from start of the movie to the finish. And it's something that works so well that brings so impressive results that we work with all the studios and we are releasing between 25 and 35 titles a year. Uh, that's, that's quite a lot. It means that you, you never, you never stuck without content in your ice theater and you have every single title that matters. We have it. Um, you know, last year, uh, I met uh, Renault from, uh, PVR at CinemaCon and a few weeks later, we announced a deal of 23 ice theater in India. But in India, 80% of the box office is done by Bollywood distributors. Right, it's domestic titles. So you have to work with Absolutely. the domestic distributors Absolutely. to get them ready for your specific format. You've done that. Which we did. And uh, we did encode uh, three titles in India, Brahmastra, Bola, Patan. And I'm very, very proud because we only opened the two first ice theater last December and the results are through the roof. We overperform all other premium format in each cinema where we have an ice theater. Uh, 60% of Patan release, Patan is a big Indian movie, 60% uh, of the ticket sale uh, in, in India were done through our ice theater format. So we're really, really delighted. We were supposed to only do three theaters the first year, but actually we're going to do eight. Eight in your first year. And, and this is a relationship year. where you met your contact from PBR, the Indian circuit, a Here. year ago in yeah. Las Vegas. Here at CinemaCon, yeah. At CinemaCon, and within eight months, of meeting at CinemaCon, you're already opening your first PLF auditorium yeah. with your partners at PBR. You're yeah. now planning on getting eight within your first year. Yeah. Let's talk about that expansion because it's a concept that's proving itself with exhibitors. You guys are in a couple of countries already. Where are you expanding to and where are your presence now? So we're really happy because we're expanding in India. Uh, we will expand in Sri Lanka as well. We are in Saudi Arabia, in United States, Spain, France, Estonia. But the thing that is pretty new since the day before yesterday, here at CinemaCon, uh, I'm very, very happy to say that we will engage deals in Chile, South America, Colombia, uh, Ecuador. Uh, so Latin America is going to be on the radar for Ice Theater for quite a few years now. Uh, but also we will engage in Asia with several territories. Um, deals are on the table and I'm quite confident that they will be uh, signed and we will be able to announce them in the next few weeks, uh, probably before Cine Europe. So it's a very aggressive plan of expansion. Uh, the big question now is how will we address all that client, all those clients at the same time? So we need to pace because we want to deal with each client, with each partner, um, the, the best we can. Now, Guillaume, I think one of the reasons on why the Ice Theaters format has been getting the momentum it has in very recent years is that it's something that was designed by an exhibitor. We're talking about CGR Cinemas, the second largest circuit in France. That's the ownership, that's the investment group behind Ice Theaters. You've developed a business model that makes this accessible for movie theaters to implement this without having to worry about licensing fees or costs that could be prohibitive to folks that may be scared of adding 
a premium format auditorium in their complex. Uh, actually, that's 100% true. We all know that premium format is the best format that resists any crisis. It's, it's the one that, that helped drive the growth of each theater. Um, but not at, not at all costs. You need to be very careful, you know, with cash flow, with your business. So we are an exhibitor. We operate 700 screens in France with the second largest exhibitor and, and over 70 locations. So we know, you know, we know, we know what we like and we know what we don't like. We don't like maintenance costs, prohibitive maintenance costs. We don't like to, to, to not being able to book our theater the way we want. We, we like freedom, you know, and we are nobody to teach our client how to book their own theater. They, the rules are, are different from one territory to another. The, the average ticket price is not the same from one territory to another. So those guys are the best in each territory to know how to book the theater, the better. So um, we, when we developed Ice Theater, actually at the beginning it was only for us, but we were like, hey, we're an exhibitor. We took out everything we don't like. We added everything we like, RGB laser projector, Dolby Atmos, immersive LED panels, um, and, and we like it so much that now, I mean, we're struggling to fill all the content uh, in, in a 365 days because we have way too much content. So it's, it's really, 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 really good. I'm glad to hear that. Congratulations on all that positive momentum. That's Guillaume Domingue de Massour, the Managing Director of Ice Theatres, a premium large format concept that is expanding all over the world. Thank you again for your support of the Box Office Podcast. Thank you, Daniel. And we are back on the Box Office Podcast with Ajay Bijli of PVR Inox, the largest cinema chain in India, who earlier this week at CinemaCon presented the International Exhibitor Keynote Address on the first day of CinemaCon. This is the first time, Mr. Bijli, that an Indian exhibitor has been at CinemaCon. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background on your career and on PVR? I've been in the business 33 years now. I used to run a single screen cinema called Priya Cinema, and that was... Uh, way back in whatever, in 1990, <laughs> 8990. And then uh, for the longest time, I ran single screens because in India, you did not have multiplexes. But then I did a JV with Village Roadshow of Australia, who were expanding in um, various parts of the world. And we've formed a company called Priya Village Roadshow Limited way back in 1994. And then 97, we opened our first multiplex, which was a conversion of a single screen cinema into a fourplex. And since then, you know, we've been growing the company. I've been very passionate about this business for the longest time. I've been also very passionate about uh, the India market as such, because India market is very unique. We've never expanded out of India. There've been a lot of temptations to do that. <laughs> but because India was always grossly underscreened, you still have a had a single screen culture and multiplexes were still something that were uh, very new and uh, shopping centers were coming up, malls were coming up and, you know, single screens were getting converted into fourplexes, threeplexes. So we believe that that was a place to sort of expand our footprint. And, you know, India, but about 1500 films on an average go through the system in India in different languages, including English. And about 1.3 to 1.4 billion tickets were getting sold at a very low price point. So it was a very, it's always been a very volume driven country, both on the supply side, there's a lot of volume, quantity of movies and variety of movies. And also on the side of supply, uh, sorry, demand, there are again, lots of people who visit the cinemas. It continues to remain the number one form of 
you know, out of home entertainment in India. So that makes the whole country and the market very unique. Uh, the dependency on Hollywood is not that much. Of course, when Hollywood movies do well, they do exceedingly well. They get dubbed in various languages. But by and large, 90% of the box office is still Indian films. So that's what makes our market very unique. And uh, so pre-pandemic, at least that is how the numbers were. And even now, post-pandemic, you know, with Hollywood films, number of Hollywood films that are coming theatrically having been reduced, still India did not get impacted so much because we still had a huge flow of movies which are domestic coming into the cinemas. Our own journey from 97 to now has been that we've grown organically through shopping centers, malls, leasing spaces there. We've also grown inorganically where we acquired almost uh, three very large chains and then took our screen count to 800, 900 screens. And then just before the pandemic, you know, we realized that our balance sheets would get very badly battered, <laughs> you know, 18 months of closure. Bad timing. Yeah. So we decided that the only way to make the company stronger would be to merge the company with a number two player. So we were always listed on the stock exchange. We were number one. We had our nose ahead throughout. But then we realized that since this business is about scale and we need to mitigate our risk uh, from streaming services, from all sorts of you know consumer behavior changes that COVID partly resulted in, I would not say that fully the consumer behavior has changed, especially in India, because as I said, India is a is a land of contradictions. <laughs> and you've got some older audiences which are still taking their time to come. And they do come, but not in the same frequency as before COVID. But at least the youngsters are coming back in throngs. You know, They're thronging back to the cinemas. But we still felt that it was important to uh, basically get the circuit much stronger. Not only our screen count has gone up to now 1,700-odd screens, but our... Uh, you know, balance sheets have, have become much stronger. So that's really, a, it, I've told you, 33-year-old journey <laughs> in a very, as little time as I could. So the company has now been re-Christianed as PVR Inox Limited because Inox were our number two uh, player and they were our, you know, the other player in the market. And basically, you know, we have a task ahead now to navigate through the post-pandemic period and take the company to, you know, uh, greater heights now. I continue to remain very sanguine about the business. I'm very positive still. Uh, it's only been 11 months or, you know, 12 months maximum since we've been opened after COVID. And when people start comparing pre-pandemic to post-pandemic, I always have a view that you're talking about 80 years or 90 years or 100 years of PVR or, or the cinema existence to a post-COVID period of only 12 months. So I, I find it an apple to pineapple comparison. And I think we need to give cinema much more time before we start drawing any conclusions that, you know, streaming services or OTT platforms are going to uh, take over because this is something that will coexist always. Home theater has always coexisted. Of course, the volume has got accentuated and exacerbated more simply because, you know, that's all people were doing when they were at home for 18 months. So therefore, you know, a lot of changes happened. But if you give it much more, a little more time, I, I would say not even maybe another 12 months or maximum 24 months, cinema is going to bounce back because everybody seems to be in a bit of a flux just now. It's not as if even the streaming services have got their act together. They're also, they lose subscribers, gain subscribers, putting in a lot of money into content creation. Not every content that gets created 
also moves the needle on the subscription base. Bob Iger coming back, you know, again announcing Disney doing theatrical. So lots of things have happened worldwide. Similarly in India, same things are happening. The big stars are uh, still not just for romantic reasons and uh, egoistic reasons, but actually they love the big screen and they're coming back. And some of the results have been very staggering, staggering like another level altogether. The movies which have done well post-pandemic have never seen these numbers pre-pandemic. So if you look at movies like KGF2, RRR, Avatar 2, and now a recent film called Pathan, in their own genre and language, I think these are the highest grossing movies of all time. So, you know, the peaks are very, very high. And of course, there are valleys as well. But the peaks are so high that, you know, they've never been seen before, even uh, pre-pandemic. I saw RRR, my goodness, and Pathan over here and, you know, packed auditoriums for both screenings. So it's it's neat that it, it seems like kind of with the, you know, the pipeline of film being affected, other markets are having the screen counts to be able to program some of these Indian films that people are finding out that they're good, how much they like them. Yeah, so which is very good because if you look at India, there was something called regional cinema because India is such a large country and you have uh, down south uh, languages like Tamil, Malayalam, uh, Kannada and Telugu. And then you have Bollywood, famously called as Bollywood, but let's say the Hindi film industry. But then suddenly the filmmakers are now looking at India as one country and they're not saying we're making movies only for our region. So therefore, when they resonate and they do well, they do well everywhere. And even some of the Indian filmmakers like Shah Rukh, you know, one of the most famous actors who's now got, you know, the accolade of, you know, having the biggest Hindi film ever. Even he's making a movie in June, which is releasing called Jawan, which is again with the one of the most, you know, talented regional directors called Atli. And then, of course, he's got, an, again, a regional South Indian couple of actors. So uh, he's, again, making a movie which will not resonate just with North India or West or East. He's making a movie which will resonate with the whole country. And these movies are also resonating globally, which is very good. So, you know, I think this is good news for the exhibitors because they don't have to now depend only on, uh, you know, content from their, you know, staple. They can, you know, even international content can play across various continents. So I think that's that's all we're looking for. We're looking for consistency of content, which resonates with everybody because our business is momentum business. And that momentum, 12 months is too short a period, you know, for saying that the, you know, coming to any conclusions and saying that the momentum is back, but it is going to come back. There's no question about it. One leg of our business uh, is of course, joint at the hip with the film industry. And one leg of our business is joint at the hip with the retail industry and the shopping center development. So India is also going through that phase where organized retail is replacing mom and pop retail. You know, so even all cities in India now have shopping centers, malls coming up. And because cinemas are such an important part of any shopping center and mall. So whoever is making a mall always sticks in four to six screens minimum, depending upon which part of the market you're in, to finish his mall. I think that that growth is what is giving us momentum to grow as well. So as we speak between PVR Inox, we're adding close to 150 to 200 screens every year. You know, yeah, so sometimes markets do question us that where is the logic? Because if your current screens are 
currently, you know, still They're doing great. <laughs> optimum level. But my answer to them is because we are not a short term player. You know, I'm not going to take a long term decision based on 12 months. I'm going to take a long term decision based on the history of exhibition business in India and the future mm-hmm. that it holds in um, every, you know, small town. So and medium town and metro. So I think um, and these places where we are going those cities or those catchments where still the organized multiplexes the consumer still hasn't seen they haven't seen stadium seating they haven't seen you know dolby digital laser projection system the whole wow factor of cinemas and our cinemas are very very high on design because indian movies are colorful indian movies are vibrant so the whole philosophy of pvr has been not make cinemas which are dull they are not utilitarian cinemas they are very exciting cinemas because it's an event for people to go out and watch movies in india you know they dress up and then they go what do you think the role of premium formats play in the future of indian cinema indians are very okay. serious very <laughs> okay. very particular about their movie going experience i mean my mm-hmm. daughter was in bombay when avatar came she saw it in all formats she saw it in imax and she saw it on a new format that we've come out with called ice where you have uh, you must have read about ice uh, yeah the, it, it the side panels side panels right. today in fact i went to one of the cinemas where they were showing uh, i think the movies on antman or something in its third or fourth week on ice mm-hmm. and it was busy it was about 40% occupied uh, so 4dx is there and i think it enhances it makes it more experiential that's what cinema is all about so i think uh, premium formats only make that experiential argument even stronger and india's like any other country where if a big maverick is coming or now mission impossible is coming or fast and the furious is coming people will make choices and pay that premium if it's playing on a big format i mean over here we're seeing a lot of uh, more diverse programming to get more audiences in and also obviously screens to fill I think diversity of content has definitely played an important role you know as i said people have got the taste of watching uh, regional content as well that has happened we've been very careful about our pricing you know even though in two years of a shutdown the inflation was still very high 7% inflation in india but we still stuck to not more than 5% decrease also you know a lot of segmented marketing for the older you know slightly mature audiences you know we've tried to get them back by having segmented marketing for them we've done a lot of festivals we've brought certain movies back you know which packaging them under either a valentines offer or we also did the cinema day uh, you know which was done worldwide to get p- people in but i think all marketing aside i think the most important thing i would still say is the stickiness of the content with the consumer uh, ultimately once the content connects with the consumer then that's it And we are back here on the Box Office Podcast with our feature segment in today's episode, speaking with representatives from the ICA, that is the Independent Cinema Alliance, an industry trade group specializing in uniting the independent theaters here in North America, making sure that all the synergies that can happen in working through scale can occur for the betterment of our players here. in the independent space. Gentlemen, we've got three of you here. I want to make sure our listeners can connect your voice to your names. Can you introduce yourselves, your role at the ICA and what your day job is? Yeah, I'll start off. I'm Chris Davis. I am 
in the position as a board member, I am an integrator for the ICA, which means I basically make sure all of our teams have what they need to move their projects forward. It's what I do for the ICA. And my day job is I have three drive-in movie theaters all in Ohio, the Spring Mill Drive-In Theater in Mansfield, the Magic City Drive-In in Barberton, and the Blue Sky Drive-In in Wadsworth. Yeah, uh, Daniel, thanks for having us. This is great. All of us here at the ICA are super excited to uh, to share our story and our message and, and everything that we're doing. Brian Sieve, I'm the president of Odyssey Entertainment, Odyssey Cinemas, out of, based out of Minneapolis. We have six locations spread across the Dakotas, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin area. And we've been in the business, gosh, since 1997. We built our first location in 1997. We still own and operate it. So, yeah, we've been around. I am part of the Studio Relations Task Force at the, the ICA and also a board member. And, you know, it's fun, right? There's a lot of a lot of good things happening with cinema and the independence. Daniel, thank you for having us. Uh, it's kind of neat to be a part of your show. We always listen to your podcast every week. It's really thank you for what you do for all of us. My name's Mark O'Meara, and I'm in Fairfax, Virginia. Two theaters. One is a three-screen and one is a six-screen. The six-screen is a little bit more artsy-fartsy in its fair. I'm on the board of the ICA. I'm in charge of membership. I'm also on the gaming committee and the marketplace committee, or teams, if I use the right word. And uh, it's just a thrill. I mean, I've been here this July. will be 32 years in this three-screen theater. And from 99, what is that, 24 years at my six-screen. So We spend a lot of time this week talking about the big movies, the big studios, a lot of discussion on the big corporate circuits, but there is such a diverse ecosystem in exhibition in North America, which is something that actually not too many global markets have. I think that's more or less unique to the United States and a couple of other territories, really, for the size and scale to have such varied ownership groups. Let's start with the scale question, because we know that the ICA brings in independent theater owners like yourselves and some circuits. I think, Brian, you mentioned, you know, Odyssey has a scale that's bigger than just a couple of locations here and there, three, four locations. You also have a number of bigger circuits come in. Mark, could you give us an update on what are the requirements to join the ICA? Which type of players can apply to become members? And also, what's your membership looking like today? Well, today the membership total is 4,688 screens, over 201 companies. To be a member, it's basically you can't be publicly owned and you can't represent over 2% of the national box office. So we've had, we have two or 300 screen members, but the vast majority of that 200 are one and two and three screen members. So it's a, we're covered in every state. And if you actually add up those members, you guys as the ICA represent I think roughly around the third largest circuit, if we look at things like a circuit right here in the United States, it's a great opportunity for folks that maybe don't have a big corporate office, a big corporate HQ with all these different departments to work with other colleagues in this industry to have those conversations with the studios that you're having. I know, Brian, you mentioned you're part of the Studio Relations Board. That's one of the big priorities that the ICA has right now. And frankly, it's one of the most important aspects in exhibition today. We're coming out of an extremely rocky period from the pandemic, where there were some major circuits 
that went to some studios and said, hey, let's cut a deal. This is the ex exclusivity we're going to give you guys. We're going to take some back end of whatever that is. It seemed like everyone was going in their own way. The ICA actually worked to bring folks together and have a different sort of conversation. What are those conversations you've been able to have with your studio colleagues? Part of the challenge has been, if you kind of look at the, the whole industry ecosystem, you know, you've had a bunch of behemoth, you know, tech companies getting into the film business. You've had private equity invading the large circuits. You know, this has just created this kind of these weird relationships in our industry that, you know, a lot of us, you know, if you took at Chris, Mark and myself, we've been around a long time. We're not big, but we certainly know and are not naive to what's going on with some of these big power plays. And of course, with the disruption of the pandemic that just threw everything on its ear with all the experimentation that happens. One of the things that the independents here, you know, we've largely been just kind of shut out and left out of the conversation, right? You got AMC cutting a deal on a 17 day window with Universal, you know, we're not part of that voice. We're not part of that conversation. And one of the things that Studio Relations is focusing on is how do we create that unified voice? Part of the, you know, the challenge that the studios have is, is in their efforts to become more efficient as well, Daniel, you know, they've really reduced their staff on the distribution and exhibition relations side. So they just don't have the bandwidth anymore to talk to a fragmented audience. And that's really, you start looking at the number of independents out there and we just don't have enough minutes in the day or they don't have and we don't have to really, you know, cover all the bases. So one of the things we're doing is we're trying to create those efficiencies and the ability to speak with a common voice because most of the concerns of the independents are the same across the board, right? We looking at access to product, we're looking at minimum run terms, you know, especially our smaller members that are really, really hurt with minimum you know, run dates, you know, a four week run date on a, on a twin or a single uh, or your drive in. Those are very difficult conversations to have with the studio versus somebody that's got 10, 12 screens, right? It doesn't. And that's basically locking so, up half your screen count on one title for a month, which maybe is okay if that title's performing well, but really how many titles a year can perform beyond two weeks, even if you've got two screens? You're exactly right. So it's a big lift. It's a big effort for us. A lot of good things are coming with regard to how we're organizing the studio relations effort and how we're going to bring that to the studios to address our concerns. So, you know, we're pretty happy with where we're going with it. I would just say, you know, there'll be more pages to that book being written here in the next coming months. Not that long ago, or maybe it doesn't seem like that long ago, that studios would have offices, distribution offices in most major markets across the country. You would have a regional representative that you could reach out to, whether you're a big or small player, to address any concerns you have. People are consolidating. That's not the case anymore. And the staff's just, you know, it's not that these folks don't want to help. It's just that bandwidth. And it's important to have these conversations at scale. And another aspect where it's important to have these conversations at scale are with vendors, with suppliers. And that's where the ICA marketplace comes in. It's something that has its roots back in the digital transition when we had the cinema buying group helping independents make that digital transition, which was vital for the survival of the industry. Can you guys go into what the latest updates are with that marketplace. We've hired a, uh, what they call a, a group buy purchasing GPO organization called Crescendo. And they have years of experience dealing with stadium buying, like huge marketplace 
purchasing, which they've done person and they form a company and they were one of their clients. And we're focusing primarily initially things like popcorn, oils, you know, the basic products that everybody uses. They did sign a wonderful deal with Frito-Lay to do all kinds of nacho and cheese products and chip products with PepsiCo. And everybody saves money. You sign up and it's, it's awesome. So that's the kind of thing that they work on really hard to, to represent the 4,000 screens as an entity. And they can bring us to the table and say, listen, we have some serious buying. Above and beyond concessions, our GPO crescendo is also on behalf of the ICA marketplace is working on other things like trying to work out an insurance deal for our clients or our members. That is a big, big, big leap because you're dealing with 50 states. It's a tough lift. That's one thing that they're working on in the background. Other things that they're working on is energy aggregation programs. They kind of started somewhat of a pilot in the Northwest and Northeast, and they are trying to make deals with, with energy companies to sell, to save money on energy. Also film, uh, I say film, but you know, projection services, projection equipment, every single aspect of our movie theaters, they're trying to get into and save us money. Everywhere where we spend money, they're trying to get in and help us with that. And it's really going to be a big, big money savings for those of our members that take advantage of these programs. And of course, there's a, a third big initiative that the ICA is currently involved in, marketing initiatives. Because it's not just opening the doors and hoping people show up. Right now, as Brian mentioned earlier, you're competing with smaller theatrical exclusivity windows. So you have to compete based on marketing. You have to compete to make sure that you close that loop in whatever the studio spend is on any given title. Can you guys go into what those marketing initiatives have been so far this year for the ICA? If you kind of look at the marketing sphere, right, you know, the studios are having an ever increasing difficult time reaching the end customer just because of the of all of the white noise the internet really brings out, right? Where do you get your information? How do you get it out there? How do you how do you do it cost effectively? And, and the studios are really struggling with that. And so one of the things that we are doing and our members, by the way, control a pretty large local market of constituencies. So, so each one of our theaters groups, our independents usually have a really good, built a really good affinity group with their local markets. The studios are frustrated with us to some extent, Daniel, you know, because again, fragmentation's the enemy here. How do you get that? How do we get through? How do we sell through to those channels? But the independents just, you know, for a number of reasons, haven't been able to really figure out how to use big data and coordinate that. That's what we're doing now. We're bringing that that lubrication, so to speak, to the independents and helping synergize and organize that data so that these marketing conduits are going to be available to the studios. So to your point, if you look at almost 5,000 screens, third largest quote unquote organizational unit in, in cinema, we're going to try to make it much easier for the studios to get into those marketing efforts. And that's going to really be a win-win situation. It'll be efficient, it'll be cost-effective, and it'll be effective. And Rich Dottridge, our president, is, I think we all agree, you know, all of us board members have been just super impressed with his, he's the marketing guru, he's the guy that figures it out. And, you know, I'm a, probably more of a knuckle-dragger finance guy, but, you know, just watching him work has been tremendously impressive. And, 
Rich is going to do a good job for us. And probably one of the bigger initiatives that I'm personally excited about, and I'm sure Mark and Chris are as well, that once we put these data analytic tools and this organization together, it's going to be a sea change for reaching the small to medium-sized markets where a lot of us operate. It's so important, I think, as you mentioned, Brian, in, in making sure that you have that visibility and that you can be a good partner to your studio colleagues as well, right? I think it's a two-way conversation of both aspects of the industry coming together and doing part of the job and making sure we can fill those seats and get those ticket sales up. And part of that, of course, requires members of the ICA getting involved. And what I like about this organization is that there's a lot of grassroots initiatives and teams, as Mark mentioned earlier, where folks can come in, sign up, and uh, roll up their sleeves, uh, talk to their colleagues, and make sure that they can work together in promoting this side of the industry. Let's go through some of them. If you guys could give us a, a quick sort of pitch on what these teams do within the ICA and how to get involved. Let's start with the communications and marketing team, of course, because we just spoke about those marketing initiatives. Could we talk a little bit about that aspect? One of the things that we're trying to do is instill a discipline with our members in not just doing marketing, but also measuring the results of the marketing. So we're, we're getting into the data and measuring real return on investment. And we're showing our studio partners how effective independent cinemas can be at deploying those marketing dollars. And I can just tell you that the few pilots that we've done so far have been very impressive. These are wake up numbers that the studios are, that we're starting to show the studios that the ICA and its members can produce. So that is going to be one of the big what I'll say wins for the ICA and one of the things that really wakes up our membership and potential members that, you know, this is this is not just getting around and saying rah, rah, rah on, on marketing. This is deploying real world, you know, big data, sophisticated, measurable returns in these markets. So that's different. But I want to focus here before we go on the education team, because one of the things that I really love about the ICA is that you guys make sure to keep close to each other and keep in touch very closely. You've got uh, the ICA Live webinars. You've got partnerships with important uh, conferences and conventions like the Dine and Cinema Summit, also Cineshow coming up this August in Dallas, Texas. Once again, that's going to be the second big year where Cineshow has a big ICA presence and branding. Can you guys go into these educational initiatives and opportunities so folks that maybe they don't have the time to volunteer? As we know, a lot of independent operators are carrying tickets, cleaning up the auditoriums, and trying to figure out what to put on the screen next week. Not everybody has the time to volunteer, but they do have opportunities to tune in, tap into those resources and that brain trust to figure out how to best strategize moving forward. You know, Gina's done a great job of making sure that she brings quality contributors to the calls because one of the challenges of independence is, to your point, they're busy running a movie theater. They're not sitting in an office. And so to be able to get to a point where they can, they know they have a place to go and they're going to learn something and that, and spending that precious hour on those calls is very valuable to them. And to Mark's point, the feedback has been tremendous. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're, we're seeing pretty high call participation in those power hour uh, webcasts. So that's good. You know, you brought up Cine Show, fabulous show. I can tell you that of all my years, I never really went to it because I didn't think much of it. And I went last year and I was blown away by how many independents are there and how we really kind of take over the show. And we have all of these great events there that, you know, we talk about the voice and the issues of the independents. So the Cine Show is just kind of growing into this place where 
you know, even extra or, or even regionals that are not in the, the Texas area or so to speak, where Cineshow is in Dallas, come to meet and greet with other independents. And so it's a little bit more efficient than going to, to CinemaCon, so to speak. CinemaCon's great, don't get me wrong. Everybody loves it. But Cineshow is a place where, you know, if you're an independent and you want to go meet and talk and, you know, exchange ideas about what the issues of the independent are, that's where we're going. And so we're pretty happy with that. I echo what you gentlemen are saying. It's one of my favorite events of the year. That's taking place August 28 to 30 in Dallas, Texas. Once again, that's Cineshow.org if you want to get more information on that. My colleague Rebecca Polly will be there representing Box Office Pro this year. And like you mentioned, a great opportunity to hear insights from your colleagues to get these educational opportunities at Network in person that's really difficult in a big convention. This episode is running during CinemaCon. We know how important that show is. It's a little bit like uh, like running a marathon, right? If you it's it's doesn't have the intimacy of running a couple of miles with a good friend next to you. You're in a big of people in a big forum and you do get a lot of insights out of it. It's just a different vibe altogether when we all get together in Dallas at the end of the summer. Well, thank you so much. That is Brian Sieve, Mark O'Mara and Chris Davis from the Independent Cinema Alliance joining us here in this special CinemaCon edition of the Box Office Podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And that wraps up today's episode of the Box Office Podcast here at CinemaCon 2023, presented by our partners at Ice Theaters. Thank you again for listening. This show is a collaboration between Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Record Edit Podcast. Our final episode in this series is coming out tomorrow. Don't miss it. Thanks again for your support, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Mm -hmm.